0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with all of you here at The Pond, everyone online. My name is Dave Ripper. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, hope we can do that in the coming weeks. And it's good to be back with you last week I was uh, doing part of my other role, which is serving as the Bruins chaplain, uh, which I've done the last seven seasons, was out in Colorado officiating one of the uh, weddings of one of their defensemen, Brandon Carlo. Here's a little picture of that out west. It was a beautiful time, and it was neat. Uh, We had so many of the players who came back for that wedding I haven't seen for the last seven years or so, but I'm just amazed at how often God can just work Through wedding ceremonies to touch people's lives. It's one of the best opportunities for evangelism that I feel like I. Uh, And privileged to have. And a couple weeks ago, when our founding pastor Dave Smith preached about you gotta reach out, it's just been on my radar. God, give me an opportunity each and every day just to talk about your love and your life. And one of those opportunities came for me on the on the flight out uh, to to Colorado, and I was sitting next to a woman, and she I could tell was intrigued by the book I was reading. It was entitled Eternal Living, and she started to ask me about what is eternal living. And I said the title of this book comes from John 17 where Jesus says this, and this is eternal life. It's the only definition we get of what eternal life is in the Bible. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so I started to explain, oftentimes we think of eternal life as being something that can only begin after we die. But according to this definition, knowing Jesus in a personal, interactive way enables us to get in on an eternal kind of life here and now with God, what we were made for. And when I think about that being part of the good news of the gospel, how can I not wanna share that with everyone? And so she has like three times as many followers as I have on Instagram, this 82-year-old woman. So we've been dialoguing back and forth since then. But I just hope and pray that all of us could see the opportunities God might give us to help people get in on life with him. That's why we gather here today. That's what I hope you would experience a little bit more this morning. And I want to give a big shout out just to our team of teachers who have done a great job preaching throughout the summer. Anson Tebow last week and Tommy Riley, Jake Scott, Matt Beatty. We are blessed to have just an amazing staff, uh, team, and congregation here at Crossway. Anybody agree with that? Amen. Amen. And speaking of blessings, I just want to give a financial update. Uh, Our fiscal year runs August 1st through July 31st, and I am just thrilled to share that this year we've closed in the black with a surplus of around $36,000. So we are just grateful for your generosity. We praise God for just the faithful stewardship of our financial board of directors, our staff elders who take stewardship very, very seriously. And above and beyond uh, meeting all of our expenses and then some, our church this year has been Absolutely generous. Ten percent of our budget goes towards supporting organizations outside of Crossway, and then above and beyond that, we have given incredible amounts of money to organizations like World Vision to help support clean water, World Relief to deal with some of the most pressing refugee crises in the world, and local organizations through our big give as well. One of my big prayers when I started here at Crossway was not that our church would just grow numerically, but that we would be able to. Do a disproportionate amount of good, commensurate with the size we are as a church. And I believe God has answered that prayer. The ways that this church pursues God, builds community, and unleashes compassion is just truly remarkable for me and to me. I thank God that back in February, I get a little State of the Church address and I shared it feels like our church is primed, well-positioned for what God might want to do in the future. So we'll launch our new official ministry year on the Sunday after Labor Day, September 11th. We'll talk a lot more about where we believe God is leading us as a community over the next year. But your faithful generosity, I believe, has helped position us well for an incredible year ahead. And until then, we're going to keep it with our series, Praying the Psalms. We have two more Psalms of Ascent that we'll do, and then two more Psalms that really fit thematically with this whole uh, journey that we have been on over the summer. So as we prepare to hear God's word today, would you please pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your, you are a generous, faithful, powerful, good God. For all that you have done, we say thanks. Thank you. And for all that you're going to do, we say Yes. Yes. As we study your word today from the book of Psalms, I ask that you would think in our thoughts, speak through my words, open our hearts, and illumine and guide us by the Holy Spirit that we might walk in your ways. And we pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everyone said together, amen. I'd like for you to think for a moment of a time in your life when you experienced deep community, rich friendship, a sense of belonging with others that you just wish would never, ever end. Maybe it was a group of friends growing up or kids in the neighborhood. Maybe it was a team that you were a part of or a club where you were putting on a performance or show. Maybe it was something from college or a work group or maybe a small group here at church or maybe a mission team. See if you can remember what it felt like to just feel like you were known and like everyone around you belonged, got along, drama-free, pre-pandemic. Remember what that feeling was like? I'd like for you to carry that with you throughout today's message. For me, one of those moments I think of was back in the early 2000s, I think 2004 or 5, uh, my wife and I led a mission trip while we were in college to the Dominican Republic. Uh, we were serving in an orphanage. There was about 15 of us. And on that group, it just Felt something special had taken place. We didn't know each other all that well, but by the end of the week, we just were laughing and enjoying one another's company. We were serving and sacrificing. Not only did we feel close to one another, we felt closer to God, it seemed. And we wanted more than anything to just keep that sense of community going. So we scheduled all these events to hang out after the trip. But as soon as we got back, it felt like that special it factor that we had just eluded us. It seemed gone. And in some ways, I really lamented the loss of that sense of community. But the place that we served in the Dominican Republic was called Esperanza, which we would translate in English as hope. And while I lament the loss of maybe some of that sense of community that we felt so deeply, I also have a sense of hope for longing that when Christ returns, these moments of community that we experience now that feel so good, They're glimpses of what one day we can expect to experience when Christ returns and when he becomes the center of an all-inclusive community of loving persons as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And today, as we continue the journey through our Psalms of Ascent, we're going to discover how this psalm, Psalm 133, points to that future hope that one day we might be able to experience. So if you're just joining with us this summer, we have been going through Psalms 120 to 134 in the Old Testament called Psalms of Ascent, and they're kind of pilgrim psalms. People three times a year would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship, to study, to gather together. It's just an important spiritual practice for them. And just as an aside for a moment, almost every week after I've got done preaching, someone's either reached out to me in the lobby or sent a note and said, hey, Dave, Would Crossway ever think about doing a pilgrimage to Israel, to do a trip like that? So it keeps planting the bugs in my head. So I want to let you know that we are eyeing up an Israel trip in the summer of 2024, about maybe 23 months out or so. It takes about 18 to 24 months to do that. But if you're interested in maybe pilgrimaging to Israel to do what these people in the Psalms of Ascent were doing, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, please shoot me an email. We're just kind of gathering a sense of interest uh, right now, and you can email me at Ripper at crosswaycc.org to let me know, or dripper at crosswaycc.org gets you there too, but it spells out dripper, and that just doesn't sound like a really professional uh, email address. But we'd love to know what I love about this particular Psalm of Ascent that we're going to talk about today, Psalm 133, is it's one of the most community-focused psalms. It's community-focused because our spiritual journey, it is not a solo trek. It's a community journey. Because while you can get to know God truly on our own to a certain degree, you can really only know him more fully, more deeply in relationship with others. I think this is an essential, radical message for us to hear, especially in our day and age, because it just seems to me more and more you come across people that just seem to be kind of giving up on church a little bit, getting out of the habit of gathering together, whether in person or online. Kind of like my faith is my own thing. But if we really want to know God more, we can't give up on church. We have to build community instead. And I believe this psalm is going to call us to do just that. So if you have your Bibles with me, I want to invite you to turn, and God bless you. Turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, a psalm of ascent, which is about the blessedness of unity, of being together as God's people. And as we hear God's word, would you please stand with me out of reverence and respect for God's word here today? How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together together. In unity, It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. These are God's very words. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the text begins with an affirmation that has some resonances of Genesis 1. How very good it is when kindred, brothers and sisters, people live, dwell together in unity. The idea of very good harkens back to to day six of creation. The first five days, God is creating the sky and the sea and the animals, and he says it's good. But when he creates people, creates them together, he says it's very good. Very good. Somehow people being united together in relationship can reflect the goodness and joy and beauty of God in ways that go beyond what even the most gorgeous physical settings or landscapes can. It is very good when people dwell together in unity. But a key little word to this verse is the word when. Because it says when people dwell together in unity. Because it means a lot of times people don't dwell together in unity, as we all know. It is very good when brothers and sisters in minivans, in the back seats, on road trips of cars, are crammed into an overstuffed vehicle. Do not pinch or or touch or cross invisible boundary lines or shout, or even as our little girl is fond of doing, bite. Yeah, bite. So cute and so hostile. What is going on? And conversely, Kids know how very good and pleasant it is when their parents are dwelling together in unity, relaxing, not bickering, practicing patience and forgiveness, humbly asking for directions, and enjoying family time, being present, right? See, when unity is present, life is good, isn't it? But important to remember is this distinction. Unity does not equal uniformity. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. It's kind of like how in music, unison is everybody singing the same note, but harmony is when people are one and voice, but singing different notes. To try and illustrate what that sounds like, I'm gonna invite up uh, Nolan Smith, our worship director, and Agnes, who's playing uh, keys, to help us illustrate. Now, what Nolan is gonna do is harmonized to me in a moment. We're going to sing How Great Is Our God, which we are going to sing at the end of the service today. And we're first going to do it in unison together. This kind of falls under the category of all other duties as assigned by the lead pastor here today, right? <laughs> all right. All right. So we're going to key a G, and that's, that's a pretty safe safe better. So we're going to sing, at least attempt to, the melody of How Great Is Our God here together. right? Ready? <clears throat> Sometimes when I sing in public, I lose confidence. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Here we go. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And oh, we'll sing, how great, how great is our God. All right, that's unison, me and Nolan. Nolan sounded better than me, singing the same notes in unison. It's kind of like uniformity. Now, that sounds pretty good, but if you only ever hear unison singing, it's going to get a little, a little boring, a little predictable. So we need to mix it up. And Harmony is another word that this is, is actually translated for unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. So, We practice this a little bit. Matt Beatty, who's the downtown campus pastor, we haven't rehearsed at all, and after I leave here to go preach downtown, he's going to do what Nolan's doing without any rehearsal at all. So God bless Matt here. But (laughs) let's just say this doesn't sound—I think this is going to come across pretty well. But let's just imagine in your minds that you're about to listen to two people with striking physical similarities to Jesus of Nazareth, coming down from the throne of, of heaven with angelic voices harmonizing perfectly, okay? Even if it doesn't sound like that, just keep that sound in your head, okay? We're gonna try and harmonize to see how very good it is when, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. All right, <clears throat> here we go. This is the hard part. You ready? Yeah. yeah. All right, I like your confidence. That's good, <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, Agnes, keep us in key. All right, you're ready. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and oh see how great, how great is our God. Yeah, there we go, harmony. All right, thank you, Agnes. Thank you, Nolan. Good job. I said, one way or the other, this will be an unforgettable illustration, hopefully for good, Uh, maybe not because it flops, but you understand my point here. Unity is not uniformity. It's more like harmony, two different kind of sounds, many different voices and sounds coming together to make something symphonic and beautiful and heavenly, like you just heard right there. That's a little bit of a stretch, but you guys are all generous people. Now, what would unison and sorry, unity look like back in Jesus' day? What was there, not in Jesus' day, but the, the day of the psalmist? And sometimes after I sing in public, it takes me a little while to regroup here mentally. So I'm coming back in. But in Psalm 133, when, when the psalmist is talking about who are the people that are going to be together in unity, he was talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. Here's a map that kind of shows you all different places where they were coming from. Some lived in plains, others in hills. Some were shepherds living in the Negev desert. Others were fishermen in Galilee. Some came from close to the big city of Jerusalem. Others from small villages that might have been overlooked. If you come to Israel with us in 2024, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They likely had very different economic viewpoints, different interests for their respective tribes. And just as Israel's 12 sons struggled to agree and get along, it's a pretty safe bet to believe their ancestors had similar struggles as well. So how could people from all these different regions, all these different histories and backgrounds possibly live together in unity? Well, they practiced different spiritual disciplines. One of those was pilgrimage. To be united, we actually need to be together in person consistently. So they had that rhythm three times a year of traveling to Jerusalem to be together. If you're longing for more unity in your own life, more community, takes investment. It takes time. And not only did they gather together in pilgrimage, but one of the ancient practices that God's people and Jewish people even to this day still continue to maintain is called the recitation of the Shema. Would you say Shema with me? Shema. Shema comes from this Hebrew word for hear or be aware or be attentive. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9. Daily, God's people would have recited this. Let me share it with you. Hear Shema, O Israel, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Keep these words that I am commanding today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you were at home or when you were away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. When I was in Israel, I was given a copy of the Shema, and it was on uh, in in a little kind of a fixture here that you could put right on your doorpost called the Mezuzah. And when you would walk out, you would often touch that on the door so you would remember what my life is to be all about, first and foremost, primarily is about loving God with all that I am. And if People from all over that region, very diverse, all say, we're going to love God with all that we are. Unity becomes possible. Some Jewish people, even to this day, will hang the words of the Shema onto their heads and uh, little boxes called phylacteries, which include the words here of the Shema. Jesus would have undoubtedly grown up reciting the Shema, and he ends up creating what some have called the Jesus Creed, combining Deuteronomy 6 with Leviticus 19.18 to say, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it here from Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. What if God's people were to wake up every day reciting that, remembering that what's most important, what can keep us together more than anything else, is a shared commitment and conviction that our purpose in life is not just to get our own way, not just to advance our own cause, but to love God with all that we are. Some of the ways that this would be recited is that people would often lift up their littlest finger in the air when they recited the Shema they believe that it was a sign of faith to say that there is enough power just in God's little finger to answer our prayers. Some would hold it up to say this is a sign of humility that apart from God, we can't do this on our own. But with God, with his power flowing in and through us, we can do what God would want. We can be united. So I would encourage us, let's practice this reciting of a couple of verses from the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Put it up here on the screen. And if you're comfortable, I invite you to just kind of lift up your your pinky finger, your little finger. You don't often get told to do that in church here, but let's try and feel what this might have felt like. This is to unite us together. Let's say these words. When we hear Israel, we're really hearing God's people, the church. Let's say this out loud together, reciting the Shema. Ready? Hear, O Israel, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Amen. This can bring us together. Unity is good because it doesn't just mean we're getting along, but unity actually makes a way forward for God's mission to be advanced. It's very likely Jesus would have grown up praying Psalm 133. And I believe its words, its message, finds its way into Jesus' prayer in John 17, before Jesus goes to the cross. See if you can hear resonances of Psalm 133 here in in John 17. Jesus prays, I ask not only on behalf of these disciples, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word." that they may all be one, united. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for unity. He knows how good and pleasant it is and he is trying to teach an important principle here that our effectiveness in mission as a church is in some way connected to the degree of unity that we are experiencing together. So unity is not optional. It is mandatory. It is commanded. And we must do all that we can to pursue it because it is very, very good. And then the psalmist gives us two similes for what this is like, trying to use some more metaphorical language to help us capture just how good unity is. In verse 2, he says, it is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard of the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. Now, Aaron was Moses' brother. He was the first high priest whose role was to kind of mediate the presence of of God. And one of the things that's fascinating about archaeological discoveries is that recently a discovery was made about what Aaron's beard would have looked like. Let me show you this historic finding. <laughs> That's Chris Birch, our communication director, if you aren't aware of him. Uh, You can call him HP for high priest, Uh, you know, high priest Aaron here. It's a beautiful thing. But earlier in the Old Testament, in uh, Exodus 29 and Leviticus 21, we read about Aaron having all of his birch-like beard uh, just being saturated with anointing oil, running down over his priestly robes, signifying the consecration of his total service to God. See, oil was a symbol of the presence of God, a symbol, a sign of the spirit of God. And so as a priest then, Aaron mediated the presence of God. He helped connect God with the people to help them recognize that God's here. But he also lifted up the prayers and kind of represented the people to God. Now, we don't need a priest like that in our day and age because Jesus was the ultimate high priest. He has paved the way that all of us can have direct access to God. We can come to him as we are right where we are, which is part of the good news of the gospel. But I believe this image signifies that what makes unity so powerful, having it be like this oil symbolizing God's presence, is that the more united we are, I believe the more we collectively can open up our lives to experience more of the peace, more of the power, more of the beauty of the presence of God who is with us. He's always there, but somehow as we are united, perhaps more of that power starts to be recognized, starts to be realized, starts to be unleashed to flow in and through our lives. It is so good when we dwell together in unity. It's like this oil running down. And what I think is fascinating is that just as Aaron the priest is anointed, because Jesus is our ultimate high priest, all of us as Christians, we are told in the New Testament, we are a royal priesthood ourselves. There's not tears of Christians. We all have been given a consecrated holy calling to serve and minister for God, whether you're a pastor or a plumber or whatever vocation you might be in. Our work is holy. You are chosen. First Peter 2.9 puts it like this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you might proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What this means is that every person who is a follower of Jesus is anointed, is anointed. Look around this room. Look around maybe on the names of the online chat or the people that you, in, in the room with you. Maybe think about people in your small group or your youth group, wherever you are. Look around. These are God's anointed ones, ordained, made holy, ministers of God. It might not look like it. it. might not smell like it. Just excuse them. You guys smell good? but you are all ordained as followers of Jesus. Now, when I used to grow up, it seemed like a lot of pastors were maybe put on more of a pedestal of respect. And I think because of a lot of the terrible things the church has done in its history, uh, our level of respect as a vocation has kind of decreased. And a lot of that is for really good reason. But some of the times I still feel like people maybe look at you a little bit different as a pastor with a sense of dignity conferred upon you as when you do do weddings. There's a lot of people who don't know how they interact with you, so they kind of stand up a little bit straighter, and they try and be a little bit more polite. And I even experienced that at the wedding uh, out there with the Bruins last last weekend. Now, a lot of them don't refer to me as like Reverend Ripper or Pastor Dave or even Dave. Kind of in hockey culture, it's more like Ripper or Rip or Rip Daddy. One guy I hadn't seen for a while actually says, Rip Sauce, what's up, man? And... uh, But I believe, you know, in hockey culture, nicknames are kind of a sign of affection and belonging. That's at least what I'm told. So it feels like I'm still treated pretty well. But in that similar capacity, what if we just saw one another with just maybe one more degree of dignity, with respect, of realizing this is not any mere mortal that we're just dealing with. But every person that I interact with at church, by God's grace, is an unceasing spiritual being who has an everlasting future in God's economy. Just imagine that. What if we saw each other as unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe that we're ordained? Imagine if we had that level of respect for one another, how much more unity could start to emerge in our midst. How much more might we sense the presence of God? And then verse 3 continues, helping us feel and get a sense for how good this is when people dwell together in unity, sing in harmony, live together well. Verse 3 says, It is like the dew of Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Here's a picture of Mount Hermon, which is the highest peak in Israel, rising to over 9,000 feet It sits, interestingly enough, on the border of Israel, Syria, and Lebanon. It has a permanently manned United Nations station uh, on the top or somewhere on it. And it's this UN uh, UN buffer zone, one of the only places like that. Fascinatingly enough, it also has a ski resort. And if you take a wrong trail down, you can end up in a different country. So be warned. But in the time of the psalmist writing, with its high altitude, regular precipitation, and heavy dew... Mount Hermon was known for its kind of lush greenery even during the summer. And so the psalmist is likening the experience of these pilgrims going to Jerusalem when they are united to being refreshing like Hermons do. The psalmist is saying that, you know, from May to October when they're making pilgrimage, a couple of those pilgrimages, there are virtually no rain that comes on Jerusalem or Zion But during these months when making pilgrimage was not just some walk in the park, it was arduous, it was tiring, it was hot, conditions were harsh. But when they came together, united, it was like this refreshing dew of Mount Hermon that just made you exhale and ah, oh yeah. As a pastor, I feel like 2022 has kind of been like that refreshing dew from Hermon after a couple of just tough years with division and all, of the, all the issues related to COVID and racial tension and political divisions and un, instability, had a lot of set odds with one another, and we were socially distanced. But now this last six months, seven months, it just felt like a wind has been in our backs. The Spirit's sail, uh, wind has been in our sails, and it just feels like God is doing something new and good and beautiful and being back together. Oh, It is just so good. It is refreshing. And that's what unity can be like, the psalmist is saying. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says this, though, that I think is so important. We are to pursue unity, but he reminds us of this. True unity, like all good gifts, is from above. It's bestowed rather than contrived. It's a blessing far more than an achievement. We are called to pursue unity, but ultimately we need to depend on God to bring that work into our lives and into our church. So we must pray. Fervently for it. How can we pray this psalm? We need to be praying that God would help his people be one, that we would put loving God above all else, that we would see one another as God's ordained and anointed, that we might create the best conditions we can for unity to be made possible through the work and grace of God through the Holy Spirit. Because a lot is at stake when it comes to unity, isn't it? The worship of God is at stake. It's good and pleasing and pleasant when when we dwell together because that's how we love one another. And we can't truly love God unless we love each other well. What else is at stake? The mission of God. Jesus prays that we would be one, that we'd be in harmony so that the whole world would know he is God. What's at stake? Our refreshment as people. The state of our souls is at stake. But when we bicker or complain or allow some of those negative narratives to just play on repeat in our minds. It starts to divide. It starts to sow seeds of discourse among us, and it impacts negatively the soul of the church. And what else is at stake? The last little line here in verse 3 tells us, the blessing of God. The final verse says, for there, at this place of unity, the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. Blessing is a projection of good upon another. Where is good projected upon us? At this place of unity, the psalm seems to be telling us. And what do we receive? Life forevermore. Again, life evermore. Eternal life is not something we can only get in on after we die. Eternal life is eternal living here and now. And as we interact and know God personally, We can experience that kind of life, that kind of blessing here and now. And we're going to see when Jesus returns, the culmination of this blessing is going to result when God creates a new community of every nation, every tribe, every background, every ethnicity, every area, era, where God himself will be the center of that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. I cannot wait. Every one of those moments of longing for community, that good community, we have felt that we, this desire so deeply, it's going to be fulfilled in that coming time. And that doesn't mean we just wait passively for it, but we work actively toward it by pursuing unity and praying that God would help us be one. Because how good and pleasant it is when we live together, not just in uniformity, but in harmony. How good and pleasant it would be if our life together now reflected the experience of what's going to happen when God returns. And I believe as we pursue that, we will know God collectively in ways we never could individually. And I desire that for you and for us as a church, for the good of the world. Let's pray together. God, we boldly and believingly pray and ask right now that you would help your church, each and every one of us, be united together. Help us to move past differences that divide. And we pray for a work of your spirit that you would bring us together in a way that is harmonious, in a way that is good, like the oil running down the beard, like dew of Mount Hermon that would refresh. And so God, I pray right now that as we just pray this psalm, we might just listen to you for a moment to just ask, what's maybe one thing we could stop doing that prevents unity from occurring in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our church? Are we too distracted? Do we just doubt the potential of what your spirit can do? Are we harboring bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, anger? God, I pray for your forgiveness for the the sinful ways we can stir up division rather than build Unity. Maybe pay attention for a moment now. What's one thing you might be called by God to do now to promote unity? Maybe it's reciting the Shema. Committing to loving God above all else each and every day. Maybe it's reaching across the aisle in some way. Maybe it's as James says in the New Testament, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God, help each and every one of us have the boldness and the courage to take whatever next step you are calling us to, to promote unity, to live in harmony, because we know how very good it is. And so we ask for it by your grace, through faith, because of what you have done, Jesus. And it's in your name. All God's people prayed together and said, amen.